I wanted to take you to one of the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and they all talk about Palm Sunday. It's called the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And I wanted to take you to one of those passages just to kind of show you what it is, in case you didn't know, and talk about some of the uh, applications that go along with that, just to get you to think along those lines with me. All right, so we're going to do that, and then uh, some pretty interesting stuff. So uh, let's just do this. Let's just jump in here. We're going to go from Luke, Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to pick it up in uh, verse 28. Luke 19, verse 28, and, uh, and here we go. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of His disciples. And as He came to the towns of Bethpage, there's a golf course there, and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, sorry, you knew I had to see, you knew that was coming out, didn't you? Um, you know, in all honesty, I tried really hard. If, you don't, if you're not a golfer, Bethpage is a very famous uh, golf area in New York. They had the U.S. Open there a couple of years ago. It's Bethpage, yellow, black, um, there's five or six of them, I think. And I thought, how did they get that name? I couldn't find out. I thought it had to have some, so many times you see that here where people will take a Bible name and put it here. But not in New York, of course. But um, so, and I couldn't find out for you. I, I was hoping to have you a little enlightenment on that, but I didn't. But so, here we go. This is the only place, the only gospel where this particular place, Bethpage, is mentioned for, for whatever that's worth. So he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. He sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. That's significant both the donkey part and the never-been-ridden part, okay? Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. So that's, that's how he sets up this story. The triumphant entry into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, hasn't happened yet, about ready to happen right now. By the way, I hate to do this. Um, uh, but, I mean, you know, most of you know, who know me, I'm not a detail guy. Until it comes to studying the Bible, and I, I want to know what's there, and I want to try, so not only so I can explain it, but I just want one of those things you just want to know yourself. And uh, I, I hesitate to say this because I think back to Christmas with our Thursday night group, we were talking about uh, the Christmas story, and, and I just casually mentioned um, I guess you probably all know that the three wise men may not have been three, and they really didn't come to the, the manger. It was probably up to two years after Jesus was born. And I mentioned that. And some guy goes, oh, man, Rich, why did you tell me you just ruined my whole manger scene thing? And he was just all upset about that. I said, well, hey, just take the, the wise men and put them in the drawer, and nobody will know. But anyway, along those lines, Palm Sunday. It's probably on Monday. I'm sorry. Uh, was, uh, if you really get into it, it's probably on Monday. I, is that a big deal? Probably not. But just if you start doing the math and you're one of those people who gets hung up on that stuff, um, it probably happened on Monday. What really matters is not when it happened, but that it happened. Okay, that's the real issue here, just so you know. So here's the donkey. Here we go. The, the, the donkey. Keep that in mind. Now we go to verse 32. So they went out and they found the colt. Now the colt, you say, well, I thought it was a donkey. It's a donkey, but it's a young donkey. Okay. And, um, and that's important, and I'm going to come back to that. Just as Jesus had said, and sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked him, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. 
when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Now, this is a road that's going down the Mount of Olives. I've been there, and, and I'll tell you, uh, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, as I, as I, I was impressed at how narrow this quote-unquote road was, not much more than a walking path. It really wasn't much wider than this center aisle right here. So it's a narrow road, and you got people just right up, right up to the end. You know, you know, throwing palms or whatever. You know, probably olive branches, and um, and throwing stuff down because that's what you did for royalty that was entering the town. And um, and I'll come back to that in a second too. So, um, so they brought the colt and so forth. As he rode along, verses back to verse thirty-six, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout. And sing as they had walked along, praising God. So I want you to see this again. Praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. These are people, they're not quite sure who he is, who Jesus is, but they've seen some miracles. They've seen, they've seen lepers healed. They've seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with, with two, you know, a couple of loaves of, and, a, and a couple of fish. So, so are they drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak? I don't know, but I mean, they're, they're, they're close. They're like... He's, he, I don't know if he's God, but he's certainly more than just a, a person. Now, and I, and I want to I want to mention that because keep in mind, in less than a week they're going to be nailing him to a cross. So when you start thinking about the fact, oh, they must have known who he was. Well, not maybe a few, maybe a few, but that's all. Now let me go back to a couple things. Uh, the colt, I think, is an unbroken animal. Now that doesn't mean a whole lot to a lot of you. You don't come where I come from, from the, from the, from the farmland of Ohio where we had horses and stuff, uh, not, you know, just to ride. And I've ridden an, un, an untested uh, animal before. And, um, in fact, I had the one pony one time, and I mean, he was supposed to be broken, but every time he got on him, he was like a, you know, just a wild little thing. And um, I'd get bucked off every time, you know. No helmet, you know. No, uh, no helmet, none of what all this stuff. No lessons, none of the... English stuff that all you guys do and all the hoo-ha and all the hoo you know. And they said I'd either die or have brain damage. So there you go. Anyway, the, um, you've got to be quick around here, don't you? Um, my point is this. I have some sense of what it's like to get on a horse that's never been broken or not very well broken. And it's kind of frightening. I told the story before of getting on a, on a bareback bronco one time when I was like 30 and that's just a frightening experience. So when Jesus did this, I don't want you to overlook this. He's getting on an animal, a, a donkey, that's never been ridden before. And it's symbolic, and it's real. The symbolism is he is Jesus. He is God. The real part is he's the, he's the Lord of creation. And even the, even the wild animals are compliant to him. And he gets on the horse, the, 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 the donkey, and it's like the donkey's submissive. Just like that. I mean, this is God, the God of the universe. Don't miss that. I mean, that's just, to me, that's just, wow, that's pretty amazing. It just doesn't happen. Now, just, you say, well, isn't the horse whisperer like that? I mean, you know, there's stuff like that. But this is just, just as like the horse whisperer on steroids, okay? This is, this is God who's like... Wild animal, be still, and it's still. Pretty impressive stuff. 
And again, that's not to be a show-off or anything. He, that's just who he, he's just the Lord. So I think that's important. The other thing is this. It is a donkey, not a horse. There's another reason for that, very important reason for that. Uh, the last time that a king had entered Jerusalem on a donkey, which symbolizes peace, not war. Other people had entered Jerusalem on a war horse, so to speak, because they were conquering Jerusalem. But this is the case. He was coming as the The last time that happened was at the time of Solomon, when Solomon became king of Israel, after David did, it was a peaceful transition because Solomon was, was David's son. And Solomon entered the same route, Mount of Olives and so forth, um, on, on a donkey, out of symbol of peace. That's, symbol, that's important. Jesus is coming because he's coming out of peace, not war, not, not to conquer. So anyway, I guess those are, those are just some, a couple little minor details. I don't know how minor they are. There are a couple details that I think are, are hugely significant. So that's what's going on. Now, let's keep going here. I just want you to see, because these people are all saying, Hosanna, 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 and they're throwing their coats, and they're throwing their blankets out on the road, and throwing the olive branches at them and so forth. And then verse 38, Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying stuff like that. These are the Pharisees talking. And Jesus replies, Well, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. He's saying, you know, he's not being boastful here. He's just saying, I'm God. I'm God. And uh, all of creation is going to shout of uh, my existence and honor and so forth. That's what he's getting at there. Um. Verse 41, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't know this. Now, timing again. Let's just pretend Palm Sunday was on Palm Sunday. This either happened late Sunday or early Monday. We're not sure of the timeline, but it happened in there. We call this the cleansing of the temple. He goes from entering into Jerusalem on the donkey, and then this is what happens. Verse 45, then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, The Scriptures declare, My temple will be a house of prayer, but you've turned into a, into a den of thieves. And after that, he taught daily in the temple. But the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. And they could think of nothing because all the people hung on every word that he said. This is... Um, as I said, called the cleansing of the temple. This is when Jesus goes into, into, the, into really what was supposed to be a house of prayer. It's become a den of thieves, and he starts turning the tables over and mixing it up with the people who have blasphemed the place of God, all right? That's, that's the issue here. Now, here's the thing about this. Um, there's another, some people say, I didn't know that happened on Holy Week. It, we're, 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 real, we're real sure it happened during this time, either at the end of the day on Palm Sunday or the beginning of the next day. Uh, but there's another example of him doing, of Jesus doing this uh, in uh, the Gospel of John, and it comes early in John's ministry. And a lot of people say, well, how do we reconcile those two? Most scholars say that Jesus, quote-unquote, cleansed the temple. I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, he did that twice, at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry, which would make a lot of sense. Here's what I mean by cleansing the temple. These are people who, again, depending on who you read, probably started off with some pretty good motivations, 
because what they have here are some sacrifices, because this is Passover week. That was the Jewish custom to, have, to make sacrifices. And maybe you were coming from a long ways away, you know, and you didn't have room in your minivan to put an animal to sacrifice, right? Obviously, I'm being facetious, but you didn't have room to bring with you whatever. So you would take your hard-earned money, buy an animal there, and then sacrifice it, which was sort of a convenient thing, not forbidden, but it had gotten so, I mean, like so many things, it had gotten taken so far out of context, and it was like it had become, they started adding more and more profit onto it, and instead of providing a service, it became a profit-making scheme in the temple. And so the point that, that Jesus was making is this is not, this is, you're missing the whole thing. You're missing the point. And that's an important issue there, and it's one that you've got to stop and you've got to think uh, a lot about. So um, those are the, he, he, he did that. He entered the temple and uh, turned things about. I want to go back. I, uh, I skipped a couple of verses I want to go back to. Verse 41. Come back to verse 41. I want to go back to verse 41. I want to read through that again. I wish I read through that uh, um, well, I didn't read through it at all. Verse 41, as he came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead. He began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But how is it too late? And peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will, be, will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. I'm going to come back to this. I wanted to read that right now. I skipped it a moment ago. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't mean to, but I wanted to, I'll come back to it in a second. But here's, here is Jesus weeping over Jerusalem because they didn't repent. They didn't see him for who he is. Interesting, isn't it? I'll come back to that. Keep that in the forefront of your mind. And then, then as I said, he goes into the temple. Now, goes into the temple, turns the tables over. By the way, let me talk about the temple one more time, too. You know that about, I don't know, 10 years ago, what was, what, do you guys remember the WWJD thing? Remember that? How long ago was that? 10 years ago? Um, they had this thing, and you wear bracelets and so forth. It was WWJD. What would Jesus do? Uh, it was fine. I mean, that's okay. That's a good question to ask yourself. But here's always my problem with that is, you know, a semi-theologue. Um, the truth is, I don't always know what Jesus would do. And here's an example. I would never have guessed that after coming through this, this great entrance into Jerusalem, after they're stopping and weeping over Jerusalem, that he would come to the temple and start turning tables over. I would never have guessed that. And he did. So I only say that to say when we start thinking about what would Jesus do, it's a good thing to aspire to. It's a good way to think about. But the truth is we don't, all, we don't always know that. I want to uh, make three very simple points. And I want you to think about these very quickly. The first one is this. The triumphant entry into Jerusalem was a clear fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. There's this guy in the Old Testament. His name is Zechariah. We we'll call him a minor prophet. That means he didn't, like Isaiah was a major prophet because he wrote a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Zechariah uh, didn't write a very long book, so he was called a minor prophet. But Zechariah, 600 years before Jesus, 600 years before Jesus, he said this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 600 years before Jesus comes, this is prophesied. He's going to come on a donkey. 
I only, I only just want to make very quick mention that when we talk about what is Palm Sunday about, what's the triumphant entry all about? The first thing that it's about is it's a prophecy of Old Testament Scripture that Jesus was going to enter in a triumphant manner, Jerusalem, as the king. That's from Zechariah. The second thing that I want you to think about, and this is why I wanted to go back and pick up those verses that we didn't read earlier. Um, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. That's the part that I read um, earlier. And when it just talks about how he just came to Jerusalem and he began to weep. The reason he wept was this. He knew, and he says that here, you're going to be destroyed. He knew that Jerusalem hadn't accepted him as the Messiah. Because of that, they were going to go through an awful lot of destruction. They had rejected Jesus. And he, and he grieved. He wasn't mad. He wasn't ticked. He grieved. Because he, said, he even says, and, and, and he even says in that one verse, he says, um, uh, Before long your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close you in on every side. They will crush you into the ground. Jerusalem will be destroyed several more times. It started in 70 A.D. after Jesus was resurrected. And uh, when I went to Jerusalem, I kept telling the guy, one of the guys with us was an archaeologist, a really, really smart guy and really knew all this stuff. I said, I want to see where Jesus was and where he walked. And he said, if we really want to go where Jesus walked, we've got to go down about 100 feet because this city has been destroyed at that four or five times, and every time it gets destroyed, it gets buried. So, I mean, it's not like they destroy it and everything gets all cleaned up. They destroy it and they bury it and put a rubble. And so, you know, really, if to go back to first century Jerusalem, you've got to start drilling down, which archaeology is doing in some places. It's just in really small pockets and so forth. So Jesus' prophecy here is very correct. Jerusalem, you rejected the Messiah. I grieve because of what's going to happen. Let me take that, just apply that, just to do a little twist with that. What happens when you reject God? What happens when you, reset, when you don't do what God tells us we should do? We, when we live in a way that's disobedient to the Bible, what happens? I'll tell you one thing that happens. Does God, does he beat me up? Does he get mad at me? Does he condemn me? He grieves. And it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, not like, Rich, you idiot, what's wrong with you? It's like, oh, Rich, here you go again all selfish and all hung up on your ego and yourself and all the other kind of stuff. Oh, oh you know, oh, I hate what you're going to have to go through to get back where you need to be. You're going to have to go through brokenness, brokenheartedness, tears, sadness. See, and my point is this. I don't know whether it's the church or whether all of us guys who are pastors over the years have just misrepresented it, but so many times when we do something that's wrong, according to the Bible, we think, oh, we've oh, got to be careful. I'm going to tick God off, and, he's in the, and the roof is going to fall in on me. And you know what? All that, be that as it may, the real issue is more than any of that, I have grieved God. I have grieved Him. And He's grieved because, oh, gosh, Rich, I love you so much. Why do you have to go do that? Now you've got to do all this and go through all this pain, all this heartache that I never designed for you to have. That's an important issue. That's an important issue. Have the right view of God on that. Sinning is missing the mark. And when we do that, it's not a matter of, oh, he's going to get me. It's a matter of, oh, gosh, I'm gonna, it's just not best for me. So he grieves. He weeps. 
So that's the second thing. Triumphant entry into Jerusalem, part of prophecy. Second thing, Jesus weeps. Jesus is grieved when we fail to obey Him because He loves us that much. Interesting, Romans, Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and one of the things, I, one of my jobs oftentimes with a person who's really fallen, so to speak, fallen into sin, a person who's a person of faith, and, and they've just fallen, and they've, whatever they've done, they've really fallen into great moral sin or lying or, you know, stealing or, or, or whatever it might be, um, and they just are beating themselves up oftentimes, just, oh, I'm so horrible, I'm so horrible. Listen, we're all horrible. We've all done bad stuff. What you need to now do is to accept the fact there's no condemnation for you. If, you're, if you have faith in Christ, there is forgiveness. We've got to deal with the crap that goes with our disobedience. But, but let's, let's rejoice in the fact that we have forgiveness and move on. Huge issue. Third thing. When Jesus comes into your life, and I mean really comes into your life, and you come to Him in faith, whether that be last year or last night or 50 years ago, when, G- when, when the Lord comes into your life and He really comes into your life and you come to Him in faith and say, Lord, I want to trust You for who You are right now. You know what? When you do that, Sometimes he's going to turn over the tables. Sometimes he's going to turn those tables upside down and your life upside down because that's what happens here when he goes into this temple to cleanse it. And here's the thing. Warren Wiersbe, great preacher, teacher, writer, he said this, the religious leaders were using the services of the holy temple to cover up their sins. But before we condemn them too harshly, have we ever gone to church and participated in religious worship just to give people the impression that we were godly? Oh, no, I've never done that. Maybe put myself in the right place to see somebody or be seen by somebody. That's the issue here. Let me, let me tell you. I'll tell you what we do. I have a new favorite um, super drug. New favorite super drug. I'm not a big drug guy, but I got a new favorite one. And, uh, and I learned about it this week. It's called cortisone. And I learned about it this week. And um, i got to tell you, I mean, real quick, I'll tell you this, to set up the story. My week has been a traumatic week. I go home on Tuesday evening, and my three-year-old granddaughter is there. And I walk I, out of the blue. I just walk in. I just walk in. I just walk into the room. She says, Granddad, you're old. I said, what? She says, I'm looking at my wife and my daughter. saying, what are you guys feeding her? And, and, and she says, Granddad, you're old. And I said, I'm not old. She says, you old. You got white hair, granddad. You old. You got white hair. Grandmom, not old. She doesn't have white hair. I'm like, do you want to know why? No. Um, I mean, you know, I'm just really setting me off, you know. That gets me going. So then the next day I go to the doctor. I, got, I had this knee thing. I, I mentioned it before because I tried to train for a half marathon. And um, um, I just did it the wrong way. And I tore a meniscus and all kinds of stuff. So the doctor, he's, he's the... Uh, um, Seton Hall, ortho guy, he, says, he looks at me and he does all this stuff, yada, 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 yada. And he says, um, you know, a couple of what I'd heard the day before, he says, you know, if you, if you were 20 years old, I'd do surgery right now, but you're 60, so I'm not. I'm like, dude, what is that all about? What does that mean? I'm dying? You know? Really, really ticked me off. And then, uh, and then he said, here's what I'm going to do. And here's all the stuff he's going to do for me. And then he said, I'm, I'm going to give you a cortisone shot. I've never had a cortisone. I've heard it for, about it for I don't know how long. However long it's been on, you know, in, in football games and basketball games, I've heard about it. Never had, never had any in my body till now. Give me this cortisone shot. Next day, baby, I am good. I'm still, I still feel I'm ready to go. 
I'll, I'll, I'll run anybody here right now. Let's go outside. Um, um, well, maybe not anybody. But I just like, it just all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm like, the next morning, I'm like, I'm good. I'm healed. Thank you, Jesus. You know? And then before long, my, my regular doctor calls me, who goes here, and he called me that morning, the next morning. He, and he, and I swear, he says, I know what you're thinking. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I know you're thinking you can go out and run and do whatever you want to do. I said, you bet your butt, you bet your, yeah, you bet. And, uh, and um, he says, don't do that, because if you do that, you're going to hurt it more. Let it heal. That's the purpose of this, and you can still play some golf and stuff, but, but let it heal and don't, don't, don't try to irritate it anymore. Made me think, because his point was this. You could have the appearance of not having any pain, and, but you, if you still go at it strong, you're going to still irritate it and eventually hurt it even more. Here's what it made me think of because I think weirdly. There's a lot of spiritual cortisone that's going around where we think we're good, but we're really not. We feel pretty good, but, we, but, but, but stuff's getting covered up. Now, we cover that stuff up a lot of different ways. You say, well, yeah, we, we covered up with alcohol or whatever. And, 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 yeah, self-medicate, that can happen. Usually we know that, usually, unless you've got a really bad problem. But, but if, 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 if we know, so what, are there other ways? Yeah, you know what? There are other ways. There are good things that we can do that are really good cortisone, quote-unquote, spiritual cortisone shots that make us feel pretty good, but it's really not helping the core issue. For instance, helping the poor. Now, I gotta tell you, that's something we need to be doing. That's something the Bible tells us we should do. But we help the poor, and we say, oh, man, this feels good. I'm doing so good. And, and, and we stay busy with that activity and some other kind of thing like that. And we're like, oh, this is great. This is really what I should be doing. And we never get to the real core issue, which is where am I and how am I doing in my relationship with Christ? We let all the cortisone, so to speak, you know, we just live off that as opposed to, wait a minute, helping the poor is a good thing. Reading and studying and praying is a good thing. But have I really stopped and sat down and just really talked and prayed in my heart to God about whatever it is that I got going on here? There's a lot of ways I can get around that, but there's no substitute for it. And that's, that's what happens so many times. We think we're good, but we're not dealing with the core issue. And the thing that, that I think that, that Jesus is getting at here, with turning the, he's, he's turning the tables over. He's saying, guys... You may have started out with the right motive here with these things. You've gone so far off. Boom, I'm turning over the tables. You need to change your ways. This is wrong. What may have started, what may have started out with a good, good motive, baby, it is, it, is, it is wrong. And your tables in your life need to be turned over right now. That's what's happening. It's an important issue. Here's the thing. A life of faith can be very dangerous. It can be very dangerous. When Christ comes into our life, He's not there to renovate. He's not there to remodel. He's there to create a new person and to begin the process of creating a new person. And that takes time. That takes time in our lives. That takes time with Him, times of just really thoughtful, contemplative prayer, seriously seeking who God is and what He should be in your life. It takes that time. And sometimes that means that He has to reorder our priorities turn over our tables to get us to think back to the way we should be thinking. Great line. I'll close with this. Great line. If you saw the movie or read the book, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis' classic uh, children's book, although it's so much more than for children, 
if you saw that, there's a particular scene in the movie particularly where Susan, who is one of the children in the movie, in the, in the, in the, in the book, and uh, she's asking, she's talking to Mrs. Beaver. I know if you haven't read, if you don't know this stuff, it's going to look like I'm like whacked out. I haven't had, I've had nothing but water and Diet Coke, just so you know. Um, but, but Susan's talking to Mrs. Beaver. And uh, she's talking about Aslan, who is the lion who represents who Jesus is. The lion, you know, lion of, of Judah. And, uh, and, so, and so Susan is saying to Mrs. Beaver, is, is, is he safe? And Mrs. Beaver says to Susan, speaking about Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus, she says, of course he's not safe, but he's good. And I love that. Sometimes Jesus isn't safe. Sometimes he turns stuff over and I'm like, what's going on here? But he's always good. And the lack of safety is only a matter of my perception at the time. Ultimately, it's for my good, and I know that because of his love for me. And that's an issue that we can't get around. And we need to stop, we need to, and, you know, we need to quit trying to, to give ourselves our, whatever our choice of, of spiritual cortisone might be and just stop and let's deal with the heart of the issue and allow, allow Christ to deal with me. And he'll do that as we seek and as we pray and as we uh, ask God to work in our lives. Let's pray together and ask God to help us grasp that truth. Lord, our God, I thank you for your love and for your grace and for all that you're doing in our lives. But I especially thank you for the truth that you, um, you don't let us live with status quo. That you get into our lives and you mix it up a little bit and sometimes turn over our tables so that we can reorder our priorities and deal with the heart of the issue that we have to deal with, which is our core relationship with you. We thank you for that, and we thank you for your love and for your grace and the forgiveness that comes in understanding who Christ is. I pray for your blessing upon that in Jesus' name. Amen.